podcast. I want to give a big shout out to the fine people who are supporting the Patreon. Not only are they making this happen, which uh, certainly I feel very supported by that process, uh, but also they've started getting all sorts of great new things. I've been recording extra Patreon exclusives with the guests who've been on. Uh, we've had Jen Zart on talking about some astrological aspects. Uh, we've had Al Cummins talking about geomancy and pizza magic. And uh, we've had the Stacking Skulls crew on talking about their musical influences, both spiritually and ridiculously in their lives. And all of this stuff is only for people who are supporting the Patreon. So please consider it. Think about how many hours of this podcast you've listened to. And jump over to patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp. If you pledge $5 an episode, you will get access to all of that good stuff, but there are perks at many levels as well. Thanks for supporting it. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another installment of the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I'm here today with uh, TD Gonzalez, who uh, I know from the Orisha community uh, and uh, who has been making some wonderful product and, uh, and really representing some of the things that I think are significant and important about both tradition and initiation. So for folks who don't know you, TD, who are you? What are you about? <laughs> so um, I am an Olorisha of the Afro-Cuban Lukumi religion, um, initiated to the Orisha Oshun. Um, I was ordained in Cuba in 1999. I live in Los Angeles, California. Uh, I'm a mother of two little boys. I'm a widow. Uh, I have a lot going on. And uh, I've enjoyed uh, making spiritual baths, which was one of the first things that I learned, one of the first things that many of us learn in the religion. Um, and I've been doing that for about 20 years now. And I just recently began to sell a dried uh, spiritual bath utilizing the herbs that we use in Orisha worship, in Lukumi, Afro-Cuban Orisha worship. Uh, that pertain to Oshun. So it's an Oshun bath. And um, I'm really excited about it. I love making it. Uh, I love working with the herbs. And um, it's a lifelong learning process for me. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to definitely talk about the herbs. But, but the first question that I want to kind of start with us talking about is, um, who is Oshun? Right? <laughs> and I mean, I, I ask this because you know, I had uh, David Sosa on a while mm -hmm, back, mm -hmm. and we talked. My dear friend. Both, right? <laughs> Lovely human. Um, and I, I, I think it's really important because uh, I think Oshun is possibly, from what I see, one of the most popular of the Orishas. And yet so much of what I see in general conversation from, you know, uh, people outside of the tradition doesn't often jive very well with my understanding right. of her from a traditional context at all. Right. And even in the traditional context, you know, I mean, uh, you know, some of my elders basically say, well, she's kind of unknowable. So, right. And so she's I a deeply misunderstood Orisha. Right. Yeah. Um, she's very popular and well-loved, uh, mm -hmm. probably because of her beauty and because of her dominion over some of the aspects of life that, obviously all of us are striving to attain or to enjoy. Um, uh, but she is deeply misunderstood. So, uh, and, and she means different things probably to different people, even among initiates. Yeah. Um, I see Oshun as elegance and beauty, but maybe not necessarily in the most, apparent ways, you know, or in the most superficial ways. Um, and I definitely see Orisha as working through other people. So Oshun for me is a motherly figure. Mm. Um, and she's forgiving and she's understanding and she's compassion. Um, but she also can be stern and she also can teach us very difficult lessons. Um, and she also demands respect and she demands regard for the 
um, counsel that she gives us, you know? Um, so in, in some ways I always say, you know, I'm a little bit afraid of Oshun. I'm, I'm, I'm dedicated to her. I'm crowned to her. I love her. Obviously I've dedicated my life to Oshun and she's blessed my life in many, many ways. Um, but Oshun is, it's not an easy crown to wear. Um, people make lots of assumptions about her children and things of that nature. Oshun is a very complex Orisha on, you know, in the most basic terms, you know, we can say Oshun is a healer. Oshun heals with fresh water. Oshun also makes herbal decoctions. Oshun is a diplomat. Oshun is an astute businesswoman. Mm. Oshun is multifaceted. She's an incredible cook. She's a wonderful and caring mother. Um, she's a wonderful mate. Um, there are many aspects of Oshun. Uh, and obviously then there is the, the uh, connective part of Oshun in terms of sparking human connection between one another. Um, mm. One of the praise names, Oriki's for uh, praise names for my uh, aspect of Oshun is Oni Abere. That Abere is that long brass needle that's used to um, sew nets. So we can say she knits together the fabric of families or the, or mm-hmm. the web of societies. Um, we could just go on and on. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think about. Oshun in my life, who's been, mm-hmm. you know, um, ever since I ever since I sort of entered the religion in about two thousand, you know, mm-hmm. um, she's been a constant, right? She's always mm-hmm. standing up for me, always uh, there to help me, you know, always showing up when I need something. And she's and, a fighter. <laughs> she is a fighter, right? And and like you said, she demands her respect in a way that is uh, unquestionable, you know. So before we do what's called a reading of entry, which mm-hmm. is before you get crowned, there's a, a reading that's done to make sure that everything's good for the ceremony. basically, right. right? Has mm-hmm. everything been covered? Do we have all the right things? Is there right. some unexpected problem? Some and, call it the vista or the abode entrada or, you know. Yeah. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and uh, in my reading of entry, showed up and says, so no matter who's marked as your mother this weekend, I'm always your mother. Right. And I was like, that's right, mom, you are, <laughs> you know, and that continues. And, and it's, it's definitely the, that respect piece, but it's also, there's a, a profound intelligence. Absolutely. Right, that I think that gets overlooked and that, Absolutely. that diplomat, that, that business piece, that sort that of. That social intelligence that's really, right? really important, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. it's really important. And that, and the whole piece of love, um, love goddess, and mm-hmm. that whole thing, um, procreation, productivity, which she kind of dovetails, obviously, with the, our, our, our supreme, you know, Obatala, um, is I think that the element that has to do with love uh, speaks to self-love and self-acceptance and self-forgiveness as much as anything else. It's not always a sexual kind of thing, you know, and attracting the things that we want to us. Oshun has a lot to do with attraction. Oshun has a lot to do with transformation, but it's not always in a sexual way. It can sometimes be, and obviously it is, but those aren't the only, you know, avenues for that, that, that element in our Mm -hmm. lives. Yeah, for sure. So, I, I, love, I, I think I'm just going to have to collect a bunch of, uh, of uh, children of Oshun speaking about her nature over time on this podcast. <laughs> and and I'm sure you'll get together, right? 50 different answers from 50 yeah. different children of Oshun. But and, let and me just, beautiful. I, I want to speak to this thing that you talked about, this whole thing of Ashe, that we know that we're born with Ashe, right? And so this mm-hmm. Ashe is this divine if you want to call it grace, if you want to call it energy, um, you know, different people call it different things. Um, we're all born with this, right? And we're all made up of this. And some of Verger's writings even allude to the idea that, you know, Olodumare is Ashe, you know, that God Almighty is, is Ashe. Um, we're born with it. 
and we have our gifts and our grace and our energy, but then to actually be ordained as a priest um, is to receive this specific ashe that we require in order for us to ethically fulfill our destinies, right? That's this mm-hmm. idea that we chose a path, that we chose a destiny before we were born, yeah. and that we require this ashe of these of these orishas that we receive ashe of um, in order to be whole in a sense, right? Or to be fully aligned with our higher selves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we receive this, Ashe. This Ashe that we receive is not the same Ashe that we're born with. It's really an amplification, an augmentation of what we have. And then it's almost like, um, you know, Willie talks about this in some of his classes. Um, you, the, the Oriate ritual specialist, Miguel Ramos, talks about this idea that it's almost like you have um, a bank account, you know, deposited of Ashe. Mm-hmm. And then um, you receive, you know, augmentations to that from ceremonies or initiations or additional rites that you undergo. Mm-hmm. And then your behavior and your character um, help to augment that or to multiply that um, or deplete it, depending on how we conduct ourselves. Um, so the, the, those are kind of some avenues or some conversations about Ashe. Um, and then obviously we have the Ashe of our, of the Orisha to whom we're primarily dedicated as mm-hmm. priests. And I think we work for the rest of our lives to kind of develop that, um, and grow that thing. And, yeah. and I, um, think, I think there's one other piece that sort of falls into that as well, right? Mm-hmm. Is that we, um, we 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 are initiated and we receive the energy, the ashe, mm-hmm. the, the grace, right? The, the mm-hmm. connection to the spirit and so on, right? Yes. Um, but we also are initiated into a lineage. Absolutely. And, and we are connected to this uh, line of of people and orishas and ashe that go back Absolutely. as far as we can remember, right? Absolutely. That's essential. Remember. And, and I think that this this notion of um, or this this practice of um, being initiated into a lineage also adds to it because it Absolutely. gives us permission, or some people might use the word license, right, um, licencia, right, to mm-hmm. to work with these spirits, and these it forms a, a contract, or a, you know, most often talked about more like a family bond, right, right. Um, because we use the word egun, which means ancestors. Right. And when we use the word egun, we mean our ancestors by blood, our family, right. and our ancestors or by, by initiation. Right. right. And I think that this conjunction of the two forces, right, the mm-hmm. energy that we receive directly from mm-hmm. the people, from our ceremonies and from the spirits themselves, and that energy that we can access and that we can, can work with through working mm-hmm. with these ancestors I think that that combination really is is where the 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 magic happens. I mean, Absolutely, I agree with you wholeheartedly it's where, it's where because you're calling on that energy. Is. You're yeah. calling on that energy when before we do anything, right? When we yeah. recite our moyuba, when we we're we're literally praising God and the the uh, deities and the elements, and we are literally calling the names of. Mm-hmm those who came before us of our lineage and we're calling the names of those exalted priests who existed before us, even from outside of our lineage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's essential. And yeah, that absolutely speaks to that concept of ritual license. Um, that ashe that you receive as an initiate endows you with something that will develop in time with training um, into ritual license and uh, the ability to perform and to function as a priest on behalf of yourself, on behalf of others, uh, mm-hmm. to benefit the, the community. Absolutely. And that is an essential piece, and it speaks to what the Cubans call fundamental, 
Um, because if you don't have that, you're just kind of floundering, uh, fooling around. And this is not that type of thing. And there are absolutely different um, spiritual traditions. And there are people who are born with deep gifts, um, with deep connections to their own ancestors, to their own spirit guides. There are people who have to do little to no work uh, to, to have the the, the things that they do flourish. Uh, but Orisha worship is different from those types of systems and traditions. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely a communal system that requires uh, ordination, initiation, training at the foot of elders, recognition by one's elders. Um, I, as I said, this is definitely a learning path that one sets their foot upon and they will continue to learn for the rest of their lives. Um, My mother-in-law lives with me. She's 85. She's uh, just celebrated her 60th year as an Olorisha of Oshun. She has crowned many godchildren. She's a wonderful Dilagun diviner. She is an incredibly knowledgeable herbalist. She's just an all-around Olocha of the type that was fairly common 60 years ago when people were kind of all living on that island in that, you know, environment Mm -hmm. and didn't have, didn't function or have to have to deal with some of the stresses of, of, of a modern life in a, in a large place, you know? Um, And she still reads and she still studies and she still learns and she still asks questions and rituals. And she may be one of the, she's definitely one of the most knowledgeable people, you know, functionally in terms of ritual competence that I know. And so it just tells me this is a learning path. We're on this path for life. Yeah, I think, I think it's, I think that's really a significant point, right? You know, I think that a lot of people have a notion about spirituality, whether it's this path or another path. And, and I know when I was younger, I had this notion that we will at some point arrive, right? right? At some point we will get there and we will be, we will know the things, we'll stop having questions, we'll right. stop whatever, right? And, you know, I mean, I, I look at the, the, the elders that I know and they're always still asking questions, right? Right. And it's one of those things that the more I learn about these traditions and even, even in my Western mystery stuff, you know, even though I decided to walk away from that path, mm-hmm. I could see how much more there was to learn and that it was infinite, right? Right. And I think that it's really important to to cultivate that sort of curiosity and engagement, right? Absolutely. I also think it's interesting because you, you brought up, and I want to kind of talk about this for a bit before, before we lose it in the flow of the conversation. Okay. Um, that distinction between like spiritismo and the muertos, like the spirits of the dead, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we would call in sort of more people might call spirit guides, right? You know, guardian angels, mm-hmm. you know, in the sense of like somebody, some spirit that looks over us. And, um, you know, and what, what do you see as the, the role of those spirits in your life or in people's lives in general? Because I often see people conflate them with Arisha or with other things. So I'm right. curious. And it's, it's easy to do, <clears throat> especially when we're in a tradition where many of us and most of our elders even will um, use the word egun for everything, right? Anything that's dead is egun. Right. So even if they're talking about spirit guides, which would we would say muertos or guias or protectores, um, or even if Ar- they're talking Ar- about, right, Ara-Urun, or even Ara-Urun, <laughs> it's easy to flip that tongue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, or even uh, where they, some people talk about, um, uh, sorry, um, even they use the, the word Egun, it, people who are practitioners of Palo, you know, mm-hmm. so it just kind of gets thrown across the board. So it's real. I think it's important for us to kind of be able to designate or understand the differences so we don't have this kind of totally crucial kind of crossed up situation. But I think they, they are important. I think a lot of that kind of, of uh, 
I don't want to call it confusion, but kind of mixed up language comes from the fact that we are our religious practices and our spiritual practices descend from multiple ethnic groups of people that intermixed together in one geographic location. And so you have people practicing multiple spiritual traditions. Um, you know, again, there's a creolization. It's not just this strictly Yoruba thing because this is not just a Yoruba religion anymore in terms of the ethnic group. And it hasn't, it hadn't been that way in a long time in Cuba or Brazil either. Um, and now even more so it is not because we've got this kind of universal religion now where people of different races and ethnic groups and backgrounds are practicing these religions. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but back to your actual question was, I think that spirit guides um, have a very important place. I think Espiritismo has an important place in in the overall practice of Afro-Cuban religion, because I believe that it fills in some gaps that were missing. And this is one school of thought. There are many schools of thought. There are others who will disagree. And I don't necessarily think it's, I'm not, I, don't, I don't think it's filling in gaps that have to do with egun or ancestral practices. The more I learn about um, traditional Yoruba religion and the more that I study and read about that, it seems almost like Espiritismo take, kind of fills in some gaps that are missing with Egbe uh, worship that did not transfer to the new world. Mm -hmm. um, and so oftentimes you will hear Yoruba scholars describe Egbe as uh, Yoruba spiritism yeah. because Egbe is not an Arisha and it's not one entity. It's like a, a, a group of entities that exist in the spiritual realm. Um, and so the more I read of that and learn of that, I see, or I believe I'm led to believe that perhaps this filled in a bit of a gap where that was concerned. Um, but I think for all of us, I mean, I come from a house where a lot of Espiritismo is practiced. My elders are Espiritistas. Um, I was married to a Palero and Espiritista. And I just see how it functions in the life. Once people become developed, um, it can just help you in so many ways, just in so many little practical ways. Um, but it is a separate practice from Arisha. Uh, and so I think what often happens is people who are outside of the religion, uh, who do not have elders, are being led uh, by spirit guides to do things, and they believe that they are interacting with Arisha. And I just don't think that's the case. So all these girls that you see on Instagram and other forms of social media building these empty altars altar tables or what they they're calling them shrines that don't have any Risha in them with all kinds of pretty little knickknacks and fefetes and mirrors and compacts and things. Those are likely that's, I believe the, the impetus for that is a spirit guide that's pushing them to do that, but they just think it's Oshun or they think it's Yamaya. Um, and so they've set up their altar, you know, um, that's what I really, really believe. And I think that push is so strong coming from those guides that it's pushing them to do something and they are doing something and these dreams that they have and, um, you know, that they're, that they may be misinterpreting because they don't have elders to, to guide them. Well, I think that there's an important sort of magical concept at play that people lose track of, um, okay. or they don't like it, um, mm -hmm which is when, when spirit speaks to us, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they, they can only speak to us through our conscious and our unconscious, right? Right. And so that communication is very easily um, flavored, right? Okay. By our ideas, by our hopes, mm -hmm. by our aesthetics, right. by our concepts. And, this, the capacity to 
differentiate between different kinds of spirits or, or you know, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very difficult. And if a spirit shows up and wants to help you and you're like, please be Oshun, please be Oshun, please be Oshun. And it's, it's kind of in that neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. like overlaps with that energy. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're going to, of course that communication is going to get covered with that. Right. Right. You know, it's going to, it's going to get clothed in those symbols and ideas. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that it's, it's really interesting to sort of try and understand how those communications come and how those things happen. Right. And it I think does. sometimes, sometimes it's an ego piece. Sometimes it's an unconscious piece. Sometimes it's uh you know, sometimes it comes from the spirit too, right? But mm-hmm. you know, but I think that it's it's really important for people who are, you know, exploring in directions like this to, you know, to try and be clear about it and to, you know, if you're if you're looking to go in those directions, you know, considering looking for more traditional verification, you know, mm-hmm. because that's gonna be way more fruitful over time. Yeah. You know, because the, the challenge that I've noticed with a lot of people is they they get pulled into something and, and into working in a direction and then they don't know where to go and the spirit can't guide them further. And so then they get stuck and then their life becomes, you know, not, not what they hope it would be right. or they have problems. And not because the spirit's necessarily making them, but because it can't take them anywhere else. Right. And then and then they become disenfranchised, <clears throat> bitter, or or they get, you know, sort of deeper issues kind of emerging from that, right? Yeah, an important factor I think is I don't want to throw this all on millennials this or millennials that. Uh-huh. But you know, different age cohorts do have some tendencies. Um And so we may see a lot of this with millennials not wanting to, um, you know, follow the rules or have guides or submit themselves to elders or this kind of thing. But I think it's important to just kind of lay it out on the line that, number one, uh, one factor that isn't necessarily specific to millennials is that you have people who are kind of, they may be rejecting or um, seeking something outside of the Abrahamic traditions. And so when they find other religions or Afro-Caribbean spirituality, they may be operating under the uh, misconception that because there's not a church per se, that these are not structured religions that have orthodoxy. Um, right. And so that, that's, that can create conflict and a lot of problems because these are very structured religions. There is orthodoxy. They are hierarchical religions. Um, they are uh, oral traditions largely, even though now we have more learning resources that are not. Uh, I think that mm-hmm. that is actually, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know about the millennialness of it. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, as you say, every, every generation has their own ideas, right? Right. But I, I certainly think that being everybody in this day and age who um, has uh, access to the internet Mm-hmm. right has ideas mm-hmm. and the amount of people who show up in my orbit who who have sort of notions that they've picked up from somewhere that are that are really quite non-traditional um you know i think it's because there's this flood of information there is on it and on so much of it is it's kind of half-baked you know it is there's a lot and, of really incorrect i mean there are people you can go on youtube and there are people who have tens of thousands of followers who um aren't are not giving accurate information mm-hmm. um or who are giving information or who have a, a a perception or what they're voicing is really not orthodox or traditional at all and so then when someone comes in contact with people who are part of the community um, and they encounter that orthodoxy, it might throw them off. Um, mm-hmm. 
or even put them off, you know, uh, which I think is unfortunate. But I think, you know, there are some aspects of the religion that you can access uh, just in terms of historical facts. You know, uh, this started out as 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 like an imperial, you know, uh, religion that was a part of uh, a culture that believed in the divine right of kings and that the kings are direct descendants of Orisha. And, you know, us, you know, we're, our practice comes from largely from the Oyo empire. And so there's lots of structure and strictures and all that kind of thing that exists. It's not just this free flowing kind of whatever you feel um, type of, Thing. And so I think it's important for people to kind of at least try to learn a little bit about the historical stuff. Just take bites of it, you know, because um, that will kind of put you in a better place, really, than just watching lots of YouTube videos and um, things like that. I also think it's, it's interesting because um, I think that a lot of people who I run into who come into the tradition um, or, or considering coming into the tradition, right. Or coming for a reading or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of them don't know what to do with the reading that they get. Right. Mm-hmm. Got you it. Know, someone shows up and they get a reading, uh, you know, and they come in a sign and, and it comes out that everything's firm and solid and, and good, you know, and, and then, and then the readers mm-hmm. basically like, well, the Orishas love you. Hugs and kisses. See you later. And they're like, what do you mean? Wow. What do you mean? Right? What do you yeah, mean? Yeah, that's know? problematic too, obviously, right? because those Odus, those divination patterns, which we call Odu, mm-hmm. um, have an inherent have inherent messages in them. Sure. And some of them uh, admonish the diviner to speak the um, the, the more um, I don't want to say negative, but a negative side of the of the pattern and to give uh, warnings. And it, it's a message that, that mm-hmm. they're trying to kind of, as a priest, you know, we have Ita, which are a number of, of life divinations, but it's the same concept as a roadmap. One may be t- temporary, temporary while the other may be permanent, but mm-hmm. it's still a roadmap for you to follow for your life. And so even if it's just dealing with a specific point in time and a specific situation, um, I think, you know, obviously a lot of people are, are, are performing readings who just are not conscientious mm-hmm. about the work that they're doing. It's right. not just about marking an a bow or an offering or a sacrifice that you can then charge the person for you to perform. Um, you're really, it's, it's a connection, right? Between, the ori of the person who's come for to receive the reading and the diviner uh, connecting with Eligua and um, giving them this message that they, that they require. And so I think that is really important in terms of fully investigating and exploring the message of the Odu that's fallen. It's it, and taking the time with someone who is not in the religion, you know, when someone comes for a first reading, it's really important to explain to them um, what that's going to involve and what it means uh, and what to expect mm-hmm. on top of what the actual message is going to be. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, it's easier to lose the, um, <laughs> to lose the blessings that are, that are being foretold uh, than it is to convert negativity that's being expected into blessings, you know. So it's 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 a highly responsible task to perform a reading for someone, whether it's a Dilagun reading or a spiritual reading. Um, it's a highly responsible task, and the person should, who's performing that reading needs to take it seriously, and mm-hmm. they need to convey that level of seriousness and sacredness to the person who was coming to receive the reading. It's not a game or a parlor trick. Um, it's, it's, it's a connection with, to the divine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also not, um, although it has the appearance of, of fortune telling sometimes, 
Mm-hmm. You know, like, hey, watch for this thing, right? You right. Know, it's also not fortune telling. And, right? and the diviner needs to make that clear also. Yeah. You know, and, that this is not fortune telling. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's also um, the advice about what you don't do is so important and as it really important, is or maybe more important than than what you do i mean they're both important right and this, right. this notion of the way in which uh taboos are handed out right mm-hmm. don't do this thing don't do right. that thing i think it's something that, that is also very uh complicated for people sometimes it especially is. because sometimes those connections are super obvious right right like hey, you came in a sign that says your head's not very clear, don't drink, right? Right. That's easy to understand, right? Right. Right. But some of the other connections are less clear, right? Right. And and yet they still need to be abided with. And that's sort of... Right. And so maybe the diviner could help that person, you know, kind of give them some insights into it. You may not hit on the exact thing that Mm. that 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 taboo or prohibition pertains to for that person, but it gets them thinking along those lines, Mm -hmm. you know, um, don't eat this thing. Uh, You know, maybe that thing would make you sick or maybe when you go to have it, you're going to be at someone's house and it's not going to be well prepared, or maybe you'll need to make that as an offering one day and it'll save you. So it's more of a medicine. You've got to kind of open the way that person perceives that prohibition um, so that they can think about it differently than just, I can't have that thing, mm-hmm. you know, but people don't like to be told they can't have things. Right. None of us like that, you know? No. Yeah. <laughs> so every time we sit on the mat, be like, please don't take away something. I don't like take away. <laughs> Anytime you receive an, another Arisha with an Eta, it's like, Oh, don't tell me I can't have. Exactly. This thing, but you know that it's important to observe those taboos because you've chosen this path as your life path. That mm-hmm. someone who's just going to receive a reading may not understand that you know for the next thirty days, or depending on your you know how you were taught, um, the next however long amount of time while this odu while the energy of this divination pattern is around you, you need to you know refrain from doing this thing or that thing or engaging in this or that or eating this or that. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to switch topics a little bit here. Okay. Kind of, kind of, kind of a knot. Um, <laughs> so we, we've been talking about Ashe, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I found fascinating was watching the way in which you described your process around making these new baths that you're offering. Okay. Right? Yes. You know, and I mean, can, can you talk about it? Because I, I think that the the commitment to putting your energy into it and uh, the hands-onness of it, I think, is fascinating to me. So I, I'd love you to share some of that for people to understand. Oh, my goodness. So I think it's there's obviously a little... This is an unorthodox type of bath. The first bath that I'm offering is an Oshun bath. Um, it's unorthodox in the sense... Uh, that most people here in the States who practice the religion um, perceive Orisha herbs as just the herbs we use to consecrate heads and consecrate Orisha. Um, And they're always fresh herbs that we work with. And the herbs that we use for spiritual baths, obviously people in Florida and other places, they generally, they may use fresh herbs, but um, In the Afro-Cuban practice, there are some herbs that get boiled. Um, Plenty of herbs are dried. It's fairly common. Uh, It's very common for paleros to work with dry herbs. Uh, And so I'm using, I'm making a dried herbal product. Um, I'm growing most of the herbs myself. Um, I'm washing them (laughs) and drying them. And... um, confecting the baths with them. Um, And because I'm a one-woman show and I'm just starting to do this, I'm labeling all of my tea tins myself by hand. And some of the labels I kind of make, they're not really labels. I wanted it to look a certain way and I wanted it to have kind of a vintage apothecary look. Um, And I wanted 
the there to be some texture. So I ended up doing a lot more kind of physical, hands-on uh, crafting. You kind of skipped over a little thought. bit of this, though, right? I skipped like, over a lot. You're, you're, so, you're growing uh, the herbs, <laughs> yes. and then you're picking them, right? And then you're hand washing them all, yes. Right? And I'm drying and then them, hand drying them, right? So that so they can then be properly Used. dried, right? Because I want them to be properly dried and cured, and not and like then, disgusting. Right. Right. I didn't want them to be moldy or disgusting. Mm -hmm. And yes, I live in Southern California where it's pretty dry. So it's not like I have a big issue with anything getting moldy or disgusting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have some nice drying racks that I hang uh, that are like the ones that people might use for tea or other herbs. Um, And in terms of the confection of the baths, um, it's kind of, an unorthodox thing because there's a lot of praying and singing and um, not the same exact kind of oral that would go on to make Omiero. Um, but some of that, you know, a good little bit of that. Um, there's not divining going on, but there was some divining going on in terms of what my ingredients would be for the bath. Um, mm-hmm. And there was consulting with my own elders about that. Um, so, and I do have some really good teachers. Um, as I mentioned, my mother-in-law, my madrina, I also work with, uh, my Oluo here in Los Angeles, who is actually a sustainable gardening specialist. And, um, my other Oluo teacher, Luis Moran, who lives in Maryland, who is an expert herbalist. Uh, he practices a Sheshe, traditional Yoruba Ifa, but he's initiated to Eligua in the Lukumi system. Um, so I do have some really knowledgeable teachers um, to confer with. Um, but in terms of the actual process of it, yes, I'm, you know, I, I'm making it the way that I would make a bath for someone who came to me to make a bath for them. So, and I sing when I work, I sing when I do a limpieza or, you know, spiritually clean the house. Um, and this is an Oshun bath, so I sing Oshun songs and I sing Osain songs. Mm-hmm. And to and me, I open my work. I actually stand in front of my shrine and I ring my Oshun bell and I recite a Riki and I pray to her before I start my work. Yeah. And then when I'm finished making the batch of the bath, and I do small batches. When I'm finished, I go back and I pray to her and I sing and I recite a Reiki and prayer. And once it's done, I light a candle and I sing some more. Um, and I leave it there on a steda at the foot of my Oshun. Yeah. And sometimes I put my Oshun sopeta on top of it. <laughs> just, just put a little extra of that energy in Yes. Fire it up a little further. Yeah. I, I mean, do. I and so, and, and I want to say, you know, this concept of kind of making magical things, um, you know, I feel obviously that the, that the power is inherent in the herbs that I'm working with and inherent in the Orishas. And I just have an unwavering faith in that. Mm. So, um, and I have an unwavering faith in my elders and in my lineage and that they put Ocha in my head and they did it properly and they've taught me and I've conferred with them and that I'm doing this properly and I do it with a lot of love, honestly, um, a lot of love and heart. And I say a lot of prayers for, oh, I'm so emotional. You have to forgive me. Uh, for the people who would use this uh, bath, you know, I pray mm-hmm. for them that they should have good health and that they should have happiness and love in their lives and that they should love themselves and accept themselves and that they should have prosperity and that goodness should flow to them and to their lives. Um, And so I do a lot of that because that's what I know. And that's what I've seen um, when rituals are performed for me, people pray for me, people pray for my children. And so I pray for the benefit of anyone who would touch anything that I put my hands on, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that to me that there's, there's that what what I hear and see in what you're talking about is this sort of 
both the depth of experience, the the history of the tradition, right? Mm-hmm. And that sort of connection to Ashe and to to lineage, right? And I think that, you know, it's uh it goes it goes even beyond just sort of some of those things, right? Because it's also your ashe, right? Like right. you can accomplish these things partly because it's it's in you from your destiny to do so as well, right? Like right. not everybody is meant to be an, an Osanista or, you know, an herbalist or whatever, right? We all have different mm-hmm. graces and strengths. And I think that that capacity and that attention is so wonderful, right? And, you know... I mean, how how many, if you count the growing of the plants, how long is it from start to finish before one of these things comes out in a tin, right? (laughs) It's it's a long time. It is. And I think um, from the beginning, uh, my godmother did always kind of try to motivate me to learn about the plants. And I said, oh, it's just too much. It's overwhelming. I don't know. You know, I, I like to make the baths. I'll use this, what I know. I'll use that. But as over time, you know, little by little, you look and you have more and more plants. And then I married a guy who was a paleto. So there were more and more plants. So you Mm -hmm. just learn, you don't take it all in one big bite or one big gulp. Mm -hmm. There's no way you can do it. You know, that's, and I I don't know the Odu this is associated with it. It's bit by bit, we eat the head of the rat, you know, it's this idea of the head of the rat has very little sharp bones in it and so if you're going to eat that meat which is a delicacy right for our ancestors our spiritual ancestors um you have to eat it very very carefully and so um it's a very slow and kind of careful process and I don't perceive myself as being particularly knowledgeable I perceive myself honestly as a rank and file Olorisha and I've been very fortunate and blessed to have some really knowledgeable elders who have shared with me. And I will spend the rest of my life learning more about herbs and growing herbs and continuing to take classes, continuing to ask questions of other people older than me and younger than me. And maybe one day, you know, 30 years from now, I'll be an Osanista. Uh-huh. But, you know, um, this this project, if you will, is just an incredible and extraordinary opportunity for me, and I love it. Um, and that's all I can say. I love it, and um, I wish I had begun with more gusto twenty years ago, and not felt se- se- not allowed it to make me feel so overwhelmed. And I also find it interesting that. Um, I've received a lots of comments and feedback, you know, from elders who are espiritistas who say, oh, al fin tú estás haciendo el trabajo de tu muerta principal. Like, you know, finally you're doing this work that your, you know, primary muerta has been trying to get you to do for years and years. And, you know, I had been told of her and I knew of her but I didn't really understand that she was an herbalist. I saw her working over a pot, you know, a caldero kind of bent over sitting down and her hands are moving, you know, and I would say that. And my mother was like, what did you think she was doing? You know, what did you think she was working on over that pot? You know, she was working with barks and palos and, and, and hojas and herbs and leaves and stuff, you know, but it's a process. And I think, it comes to us when we're ready, um, when we're ready for it and open to it. And sometimes it has come to us little by little over time and we didn't even realize it. And then we looked up and said, wow, where all these doggone plants come from? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that, I think that that idea of, um, Back back to this question about guides and spirits that walk with us, yes. right? You know, I mean, I think that figuring out how to live with that and work with them, I think, is so important. You know, it's I mean, essential, but it is so hard for some of us. Um, yeah. And I'm going to tell you this: um, my background. I'm an African American. My family's from New Orleans, so um, saints and Catholicism and all that was not 
foreign to me. But many African-American people or others who have, or Anglo-Americans or others who come from a Protestant background, it seems very Catholic to them. And not only that, but it seems very Christian to those who may be looking for something outside of Christianity. And so until people dig a little bit deeper and really understand about Espiritismo and that there are different, also different ways of working with these spirits, um, that, you know, that's when you kind of get that depth or you, you get that connection that, you know, this is something that's really important to me. And when you are surrounded by or find yourself in the company of people who are really developed um, spiritually and how it helps their lives and how it can help your life, um, that's when you start to see the importance of that. And when you, or the importance just of being able to distinguish between your own fears or your own ego and messages that are being sent to you from your guides, you know, um, mm-hmm. is hard. And I can say, um, I lost my husband almost six years ago to cancer. I have struggled financially uh, with two young children uh, living in a city where the schools were great when I was a child, but aren't so great now and had to pay tuition for my kids and stuff like that uh, and make choices and that, that um, I didn't think I'd have to make because I didn't think I'd be alone. You know, there's a big difference between two incomes and one income. And I will give the credit 100% to my muertos, my spirit guides, my protectors and my ancestors that even gave me the idea to sell these baths to, or make them available to the public, something that I love to do and that I had been doing for years and it never occurred to me. And I have been told, Andrew, so many times, um, you know, you're going to have a business, you're going to do well at a business one day. Well, I'm not there doing well yet, you know, I'm just starting, but my parents were small business owners and I just never, uh, and we had a very comfortable life, but I just, the only thing I was really good at was food things and food businesses are very expensive and um, rigorous and uh, require a tremendous amount of capital. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't see that. And so when this idea came to me, this idea didn't come to me. The idea was given to me. It was a blessing that was given to me. And that just blows me away. Well, you know, from from a certain perspective, right? So mm-hmm. I started started working as a card reader 15, almost 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I quit my job in advertising and started wow. cards for a living, right? Okay. And, um, and I decided that I wanted to make a, a product, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I started making herbal baths. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Uh, in, in this line of baths that I make now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got them in some stores around town and I did some things with it. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, that that starting point is the starting point of the whole store I have now, where I have a full right. store in Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it comes from that listening in and leaning in and being like, all right, spirits, I can do these things. Oh, yeah, yeah I can work on that. And, mm-hmm. you know, what comes from that listening, in my experience especially if we're faithful to it, right, over time, Mm -hmm. is everything. Everything comes from there, Mm -hmm. right? You know, and I think about, like, when I show up at the shop or, like, tonight, Saturday, and when we're recording and I'm going to lock up later and go Mm -hmm. home, I always lock up everything and sit here and check in with all my guides and, you know, my spirits. and, And I thank them for this, you know, and I thank the Orishas when I pray to them every day because all of this comes from their guidance and their influence, you know, and my, my work. And it's a blessing. It's a degree of freedom for your family. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, when I was a young person, a teenager, I just saw the work, you know, uh, my parents did and and they had multiple um, small business endeavors and they were successful, but there was a lot of work, but working for yourself, um, there's just a degree of freedom of, of a space for personal expression and creativity, um, independence mm-hmm. that 
you'll never find, you know, in corporate America or corporate Canada or cor- in the corporate West, any- you know, right. yeah. anywhere. So You're just it's not just gonna corporate find Earth it. now. Isn't that the deal? Right. That's what it is. Right. Globalization. Yeah. But I just if I could develop this in time, um, you know, in a few years or whatever into something that I could do full time and have a small shop and grow some herbs on the roof or, you know, in the back mm-hmm. or whatever, that is my ultimate goal. Um, and to be able to kind of be there for my kids and they can come into the shop and go in the back and do their homework and help me carry stuff or whatever. Um, That's a beautiful way of life because it allows you to engage in something that you value and something that you can share with the community that you can share with others. And it allows you to continue to grow um, as a priest and to grow in your spiritual practice and your knowledge. And ultimately you'll be able to pass that on to other people as well. Mm-hmm. So yes, definitely. Um, you know, you're someone who I see as a shining example, you know, honestly. Well, thank you. Um, well, so let's, let's see if people want to go and check out your stuff. They should know where to find you. Where, oh, yes. where, where you're hiding it on the <laughs> web there, TV. So I have a website. It's, www.spiritualbathtea.com and you can order the bath there. It's an Oshun bath for love and prosperity. It has a lot of beautiful things in it and Andrew, I'll send you one. I know that you're a master bath maker, but I'm going to send you my bath because it's just like wine. Maybe you have your vineyard and I have my vineyard. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, but we can enjoy each other's uh, products of one another's labors. And I'll definitely be sending you a bath. (laughs) Um, And, uh, but yes, it's, it's got uh, at least five of Oshun's herbs. It has more. Um, And it's got some other really nice elements in it that um, it's got some, it's got three different types of uh, sandalwood in it. It smells really lovely. Um, And it's a really beautiful bath. And I've received a lot of, really positive feedback about the bath from users and I love making it and I put a lot of love and care into it. And, um, it definitely gives a new meaning and, you know, the word art or the word craft, these have many different meanings and and what were the meanings, the original meanings of, you know, these things. Um, well, you know, you know what the really funny thing is, um, you're kind of actually uh, doing what the millennials are doing. I right? am. <laughs> you, you are, you are, because, uh, because I mean, what, what I see a lot in sort of some of the millennial culture, things that people see about that is this return to handcrafted, to small batch, oh, to okay. stuff made with love, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you see, see these sort of various things, food wise and, you know, clothing wise and otherwise right. that they're, they're not, they're not corporate. They're not mass right. produced. They come from people who have learned how to, you know, hand do things in, right. in traditional ways or new ways. And, and this will never be, well. this will never be mass produced ever. Yeah. Um, it's just not that, that's not my concept. It's not that kind of thing. So yeah. if I wake up tomorrow and, uh, you know, Amara La Negra or Beyonce put me on their, you know, social media, they'll just be a, a backlog. <laughs> but you know and but the order will get filled yeah but you know i might buy a label a couple of those labeling machines to label my tins or you know <laughs> like i said my dream is to you know be able to afford to buy ten thousand, you know from china those fancy tea tins that are already embossed and printed but mm-hmm. the bath is it's always going to be something that is beautiful that i'm going to put as much beauty and love and care into as I possibly can. And that my own hands have touched Um, because that's it, you know, like that's where the magic is. It's, it's, it's multi, it's, um, it's multifaceted, right? It's got these different components. And so Mm -hmm. you've got your spiritual license, your ritual license, your learning competencies, but it's also what you put into that thing. You know, there are lots of people who are well-trained, who are very knowledgeable and who are duly ordained, who just throw some shit together Mm -hmm. all day long. 
And I will never, ever do that because that's got a lot to do with, you know, personal integrity and accountability to Arisha too. Why? I mean, I'm going to try to make the most beautiful thing that I can if it has Oshun's name on it. And when I do my Obatala bath, it's going to be the most incredible, excellent thing that I could ever imagine yeah. Because I love Obatala and he loves me because he gave yeah. me a wonderful husband. You know, I just am always going to do the very best that I can um, and to try to make something. And plus, we want to please people, right? We want people to to feel that, you know, their money is well spent and that their effort in acquiring the thing is well spent and that yeah. and it's beneficial myself. to them. Yeah. And I know for myself, whenever I'm in a position to represent the religion in, in one way or another, I feel a lot of pressure. Absolutely. To well, right? To get it right. Absolutely. You know, I, I made a, a, an Arisha Tarot deck, which is coming mm-hmm. in all through a major publisher. Oh, right? wow. Okay. And um, through Llewellyn, it'll be in September. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and it took me a long time to make it because I constantly felt this pressure from me right yeah it's from you it's just like any any overachiever you're not competing with with other kids you're competing with yourself (laughs) nobody else said it's just me in the art or you in the bath or you right yeah no it's fantastic that's definitely what it is I, i definitely put my best into it um and I hope that that shines through and that people will see that. And just to add one more thing, you know, it's yeah. really important, this idea that we have of that license. Um, I just can't really say enough about that. I kind of get emotional about it. Um, you can't create an Orisha bath if you don't have Orishas, mm. you know, um, and there are certain herbs that belong to Orishas and all the herbs belong to Osain. But if you don't have the ritual license to work with those entities, how are you creating a bath? How are you creating a ritual? You can certainly do a spiritual bath, you know, working with your spirit guides um, and working with your, your, your muertos, your protectors and guides. But working with Orisha requires Orisha. Requires consecrated Arisha. Yeah. So don't just throw some oranges and some yellow (laughs) flowers and some honey and cinnamon in the bathtub and say that you're doing a bath with Oshun because Oshun is not there in that bath with you. Yeah. (laughs) Not to be snarky. No, I think I think it's important conversations, right? And I think that one of the reasons why I'm it's my intention to, you know, have you and David Sosa and, you know, uh, other, other traditional practitioners on is I think that it's really important to have a dialogue about what tradition actually has to offer. Right. And I think that it's, it's a thing that's hard to understand. It's a thing that is not, uh, obvious in sort of the more modern world. And it's not obvious if you didn't grow up, in a, in a magical tradition or in a magical, you know, I mean, I had, I had the great fortune to not be raised with any religion mm-hmm. and I discovered Western mystery tradition stuff and Western esotericism when I was like 11 and 12. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I grew up self-educating myself in a magical approach to the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what has allowed me to, um, to step into it and, and integrate into the Orisha tradition so well is that the only traditions I've ever known have been magical and, and spiritual in this way. And, yeah. and we're also initiatory, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. You know, they're all pieces that I understood from the beginning kind of coming into this. Right. Right. I think it's, I think it's important. And it's, and it's very important. It's foreign to a lot of people. And, you know, and it's important to say, you know, Orisha worship is not, a self-initiatory system. It's a communal system that has an intact priesthood. Um, It has existed for many generations, for thousands of years, if you go all the way back. And um, um, it's an ancient religious system that has an orthodoxy and a priesthood 
and a specific path that one follows. Um, and that's very important and that you cannot, even though the world changes, things change, things evolve, um, you can't fit Arisha into your own mold or uh, mold Arisha to fit your lifestyle um, in that type of way. It's not that type of, it, it, it's, a, it's a religion, it's a structured religious system. For sure. All right. Well, now we've given everybody something to think about. Yes. Thank you for making time. Uh, for me Thank busy you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was very kind of you, and I appreciate your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, as always, for listening. You know, I've been doing this for a while now. We're up to episode 83, and... I know that a bunch of people have been listening to this the whole time or have gone back and listened to everything. So if you're appreciating what's going on here, do me a favor. Tell some people. Hit share. Help spread the word. Help get it out there. Or go on iTunes and give us a review. Or on whatever platform you're already on, give it a review. These things help tremendously. And on the one hand, I'm certainly happy for whoever enjoys this. And on the other hand, spreading the word helps make this more viable over the long run. So please show your support and help get the word out there. Talk to you soon.